Today I want to use for a subject, do you remember? I can take my swig of water. Keith, Keith uh, has been helping me learn how to sing, and so today I'm making my singing debut. This is uh, for, the, for the first time anywhere. I, I think I'm on my way to a Grammy, y'all. Just, just bear with me. Some of you know this song, and so when I start singing it, if you know it, sing along. That way, if I sound bad, you actually drown me out. <laughs> Do you remember when we fell in love? We were so young and innocent then. Do you remember how it all began? It just seemed like heaven, so why? Did it end? Do you remember back in the fall? We'd be together all day long. Do you remember us holding hands in each other's eyes? We stare. Tell me, when we fell in love. All right, y'all. When we first met, girl. When we fell in love, Keith, take us to the bridge right here. Come on. Those sweet memories always be dear to me. Yes, sir. And God, no matter what was said, I will never forget what we had. Now, God, do you remember? When we fell in love. When we first met, girl, when we fell in love, give yourselves a hand. The king of pop, who happens to hail from right here in the city of Gary, Indiana, none other than the legend himself, Michael Jackson sang a song written by the king of New Jack Swing, Teddy Riley, entitled, Remember the Time. The song is, uh, he said from the Dangerous album. <laughs> that brother know his music. The song is a song of remembrance. Michael is singing to a lost love. He's singing to some young lady who has seemed to forgotten how their relationship used to be. He's singing to her, hoping that she will remember how they used to talk and stay on the phone at night till dawn. He hopes she will remember all the things they said, like, I love you so I'll never let you go. He hopes she will remember back in the spring, every morning birds would sing. He hopes she will remember those special times that just go on and on in the back of his mind. Now, I can't be 100% sure of it, but I believe he's singing to her, hoping that she would remember those times because maybe, just maybe, if she remembers those times, she would remember how much he loves her and she would come back to him. If she remembers how passionate he was about her and faithful he was to her, maybe, just maybe, she'd return. 
Y'all saying, preacher, well, how do we know that, that Michael was passionate about her? Sisters, lean in for a second. Anytime a man is reflecting on the times he spent with you and his heart's Heart starts to race. His emotions go from zero to 100 in a positive way. And his adrenaline starts to flow so much so that when he's talking to you, he stops using real words. That dude is madly in love with you. I, I know MJ was passionate about this lost love because Michael goes from clear communication to random babbling and then just starts making noises. He says, remember the phone, and he's hollering at this point, uh, uh, on the phone, you and me, till dawn, till three, what about us, girl? He says, remember the time in the park, on the beach, you and me, in Spain. Then he loses it, ladies. He says, what about, what about, drop, 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 double drop. The memories of his lost love are just thinking about it. Mm. Sometimes I'm thinking about old Coco Mac. And she ain't around, and I be thinking about how good she is to me. And every now and then I just say, drop, dub, 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 drop, dub, dub. That's not Morris Cole, ladies. That's a man who's madly in love. That's a brother that's whipped. That's a brother that's sprung. Anytime a man is reflecting on his love for you and starts speaking in an unknown tongue, that brother is mad about you. Today, as we traverse the terrain of this text to see what transformative truth this Tailored to teach us, we're going to see that when we find ourselves in broken relationship and fellowship with God because of our sin and rebellion, we've got to remember God's passionate and unfailing love and mercies. Give him some praise, wait on him, worship him, and then return back to him. But before we tackle the text, let's, let's look at this context. Uh, the Book of Lamentations is a series of what you call dirges. They are songs of mourning that were written against the backdrop of the Babylonian invasion and devastation in Jerusalem. The writer is the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah's call was one that no preacher I know wants to be called to. You see, for over 50 years of ministry, Jeremiah will be a preacher that will never get an amen from any sermon he preached. Jeremiah's call to ministry was a call to preach nothing but judgment. Jeremiah led a life of loneliness and was a man of deep sadness. He wept openly over the sins of his people, and rather than experiencing joy, in ministry, he dealt with bouts of depression. Ministry for him was so bad that on one occasion, he said, in essence, ministry is making me sick. Jeremiah 8.18 says, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. 
Ministry was so bad for the prophet that by the time you get to Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah is screaming out like Roberto Duran did in his bout against Sugar Ray Leonard, no mas, no mas, no more, no more. He's ready to quit. He submits his two-week notice. He begins crafting an email to tender his resignation. In Jeremiah 27, he says, oh, Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day. In verse 8, he says, For who, whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. But right there, right before he hit send on the email, Something comes over Jeremiah. Something wells up in his soul. Something starts happening on the inside. He, he starts getting a little warm. The bald spot in his head starts to sweat. And he immediately deletes the email because in verse 9 he says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. He says, I got to preach this thing. I may not get any amens, but... I got to preach this thing. It may not be what folks want to hear, but I got to preach this thing. They may call me names for preaching the name above all names, but I got to preach this thing. And can I pause here parenthetically just to say if you are a Christian that stands on the word of God and believes the gospel of Jesus Christ and you ain't ashamed to lift up his name, there are going to be some folks who are going to dog you, diss you, and even demonize you. Just remember, whether you got a title or not, God called you to preach this thing. If you're committed to preaching the gospel in and out of season, there are going to be some folks that don't want to hear it, but that don't matter. You got to preach this thing. If you ain't ashamed of the gospel, so much so that every chance you get to glorify God on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Snapchat, or even TikTok, there are going to be some people who unfriend, unfollow, block, or leave you some not-so-nice comments, but that's all right. They wasn't your friends anyway. Let them do what they got to do. You just make sure you keep preaching this thing. I know we don't do this around here, but look at your neighbor and say, preach that thing. The old folks would say that they could hear Jeremiah saying, I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I just can't keep it to myself. His words like a fire shut up in my bones. So Jeremiah kept on preaching that thing and pronouncing God's judgment on the people of his time for their wickedness, idolatry, being guilty of social injustices, false and insincere worship and failure to trust God in national affairs. So when we get to Lamentations, we find Jeremiah in a situation that we, many of us anyway, can all identify with. He's singing five sad songs, songs about how things have 
changed. Some of us have been in that exact same situation. We all know, we know all too well what it's like to go from the mountaintop to the valley. We know what it's like to be on cloud nine one day, only to feel like we're under the ground the next day. One day you were singing, it's a beautiful day with you too. The next day you were singing dark times with the weekend. One day you were singing because I'm happy with Pharrell. The next day you were singing summertime sadness with Lana Del Rey. One day you were singing I'm walking on sunshine with Katrina and the waves. But the next day you were singing ain't no sunshine with Bill Withers. One day you were singing, I'm living my best life with Lil Duvall and Snoop, and the next day you were singing, I feel like dying with Lil Wayne. Jeremiah is remembering the times when things were good between God and his people while at the same time dealing with the reality that things just ain't the same. Things have taken a Turn for the worse in this relationship between God and his people. Jehovah has gone from crowning his people to crippling his people. His joy toward them has turned to anger. He's gone from being a friend to an enemy. He who is their husband is now their hunter. The righteous God who took them in is now the righteous God who's taking them out. The God who is strong to save is now the God behind their suffering. Which leads me to the first thing I want to point out this morning. And that is when we read Lamentation, Jeremiah keeps it real about the reason for the suffering, sin. In fact, Jeremiah wastes no time in Lamentations, letting us know exactly why God's people are in the situation that they find themselves in. Right from the jump, Jeremiah said, we are in this situation because of our Sin In Lamentations chapter 1, he gives the reality of the situation and the reason for it. In verse 5, he says, the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. In chapter 1, verse 8, he says, uh, Jerusalem sinned grievously. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. In, in, in Lamentations uh, 1.20, he says, because I have been very rebellious. And in verse 22, he says, because of all my transgressions, the situation that they find themselves in is because of sin. And I know we want to hear the preacher say that every time we're in a messed up situation is because God is trying to test us. Like James says in uh, James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. I, I know that's what we want to hear. I know we want to believe that every time we're going through it's because like Job, God is just trying to show off to prove to the enemy how much uh, he, God can trust us. But I stopped by to put you on notice that, yes, sometimes, like James said, God lets fiery trials come into our lives to test our faith. And, yes, God permits us to endure suffering for what seems to be no reason, only to ultimately get glory from it. But if, like Jeremiah, we're going to keep it real in here today, sometimes we find ourselves in dire straits because God has laid the smack down on us. He's hit us with a stone-cold stunner. 
He got us with a Batista bomb, and he lets us hit rock bottom because we are actively and knowingly living a life that does not please him, and we refuse to turn from sin. Feeling like Jeremiah ain't getting no amens. But I ain't telling y'all something I heard. I'm telling y'all something I know from firsthand experience. The worst position for a believer to be in is surrendered to sin. That's why I always say, look, don't even dip your toe into a puddle of sin. Listen to me, my brother. Hear me, my sister. Don't test the waters of sin. I know it looks good. I know it seems good. I know you're wondering if it feels as good as it looks, but don't go near it because testing the waters of sin only ends up with you drowning in a sea of devastation. You ain't got to believe me. Just ask Eve. Y'all remember Genesis 3, 6, right? Eve is chilling in the garden and she gets a visit from little homie, that old serpent. As she uh, chats with him for a minute, she looks at the tree and the text tells us she saw the tree and that it was good for food. But that's the lust of the eyes. No, I'm sorry, the lust of the flesh. She saw the fruit and it was a delight to her eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. Finally, she saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. That's the pride of life. So 1 John 2.16 says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. She, uh, sin ignites and excites us. It ignites within us a desire that ultimately makes you give God the hand and pursue desires that are contrary to his will for you. Y'all remember when we used to give people the hand? When we didn't want to hear what they had to say, we'd give them the hand. When we weren't thinking about what they were talking about, we'd give them the hand. When we wasn't feeling them, we'd give them the hand. When we thought, ain't nobody got time for this, we'd give them the hand. Jamie Foxx took that hand to a whole nother level and added a sound effect, and he said, Arr! We fall into sin when we hear the commands of God and go, Arr! We fall into sin when we know God's will for us, but we say, oh, God, that one didn't go so well just now. And, and, and I know, I know, I know the fellas saying, yeah, that's Eve, man. She, she blew it. She, she messed up. But, but hang on, fellas. I got one for y'all, too. Y'all remember David, don't you? Y'all remember he was taking a staycation. Uh, one day he was feeling like the. American doo-wop and R&B soul vocal group by the name of the Drifters was feeling when they wrote the song that says, when I come home feeling tired and beat, I go up where the air is fresh and sweet, up on the roof. I get away from the hustling crowd and all that rat race noise down in the street, up on the roof. On the roof, the only place I know where you just have to wish. Yeah, you the only one who got it. To make it so, let's go up on the roof. David goes up on the roof and he looks over into his neighbor's yard and he sees Bathsheba. 1 Samuel 11 and 2 says she was very beautiful. Go ahead, Abel. That's what Abel said when he saw Sophia. 
Now check this out. The word very means exceedingly. It means muchness. It means force. It means abundance. It means to a great degree. And this one rocked me. It means vehemently. The Bible says that Bathsheba was vehemently beautiful. Only way I can understand that is to look at my wife. But anyway. I just wanted to make sure I was right, though, so, so I had to go check another translation. So I went to the Commodore's translation of uh, 1 Samuel 11 and 2, and it said, uh, uh, the Commodore's translation said, Bathsheba was a brick ow, 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 house. Uh -oh, well, y'all own it today. But, but I wanted to make sure, because, you know, you got to go to multiple sources sometimes. So I went to, I went to the Carl Carlton translation, and it said she was built. Oh, she was stacked. Got all the curves that men like. Look at her. She's a. No, man. Y'all just messed up the whole sermon. I'm just. Just messed up the whole, whole thing. Thank you. She's a bad man. Gemma. Oh, man. I, I can't even finish. <laughs> just as fine as. She could be, and, and, and so and so. I had went to the brother's translation, and, and I was looking for a translation. Maybe one of the sisters had a translation. I don't know, and I can't finish this whole thing. But I did go to the Destiny's Child translation, and Bathsheba, it said Bathsheba was singing. I don't think you're ready for this jelly. I don't think you're ready for this because stop. Don't y'all say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> now before I <laughs> let me stop right there. But before I go on to my next point and, and try to get us out of here, I know what some of y'all are thinking. Y'all still hung up on Eve. Y'all saying to yourselves, if the devil hadn't come along, Eve wouldn't have sinned. And some of y'all brothers in here said, if Bathsheba had just stayed in her house, David would have been all right. But let me tell you something. You can try to find someone, something, or somewhere else to place the blame all you want. But no one else is the reason why you sin. Nothing, and, and, and some of y'all are going to get mad at me right here, but nothing that uh, your partner does causes you to cheat. Mm-hmm, that's the truth. <laughs> nothing, <laughs> look, she's there. Nothing, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> come on, I got to finish this. Y'all will be mad at me because I'm up here for an hour and a half. Nothing nobody causes you to, nothing anybody does causes you, makes you, forces you to cuss them out. For real. Amen. Nothing they did. Nothing in your environment leads you to rebel against God. Uh, let, let me holler at Eve one more time. Uh, don't go nowhere, Eve. I need to come back to Genesis 3, 6. It says she saw the fruit and it was a delight. Check that word. It was a delight to her eyes. The word delight. Here is the word ta'ava. It's a word that means object of desire. Eve saw the fruit and she wanted it. I like that word ta'ava because it gives us the right sound, the right picture of how we fall into sin. Eve saw the fruit and she had ta'ava bite. David saw Bathsheba and he had ta'ava. James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The picture James is painting is one uh, where uh, we are being hunted by our own evil, wicked desires. Our own ungodly impulses and appetite puts a seductive piece of bait on a hook to lure us out of hiding with the goal of getting us to commit spiritual suicide. Colossians said that our lives are hidden with Christ in God, right? It's our own lust trying to lure uh, us out of and away from the God that has us hidden, has hidden our lives with Christ in him. And y'all can front if you want to, but that thing is a beast. When sin has its claws in I'm telling you, I ain't telling y'all something I heard. When sin has its claws in you, it's hard to shake loose. When sin gets a hold on you so much so that you also grab a hold of it, that thing is hard to shake in your own power. I know some folks like to act like they've been saved all their life. But some of us in the room know what it's like to be trapped in sin. A few of us, not everybody, a few of us in here have messed up before. Some of us in here has dipped our toe in to test the waters of sin only to find ourselves drowning in it. Some of us in here knows what it's like to backslide. Some of us in here knows the terror of being wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in sin. Some of us in here knows what it is like to see something, feel something, desire something, and want to experience something so bad that even though we know that getting it is not in line with God's will for our lives, we fall into sin because we just have to have them. Can I keep it real? Some of us don't have the courage to admit it, but You know what I'm talking about because you're living it right now. But I'm here to tell you, like another Michael Jackson song said, you are not alone. Listen, I've been there sitting in those seats, scared of being exposed. Mm, I'm sorry. I got to come on. I've been there. I've been the one who truly gave the preacher my hand and God my heart, but Suffered a setback because that old life crept back. And, or, or that broken place, that damaged area in your life needs a fix. So you turn to some sin, hoping it will heal it, only to find that all you did, all it did was turn you away from the only one who could truly heal you. It's some folks in here silently crying out for help because sin got a hold on them, and they just don't know what to do. If that's you, hang on. If everybody leave, you stay. Jeremiah got some good news for you. Jeremiah wants you to know that even though you're in a situation that sin got you in, there is hope. You see, after Jeremiah keeps it real about the reason he's in this situation, he remembers that he has a reason for hope. In Lamentations 1.1 all the way to 120, we find Jeremiah testifying for 64 verses about how jacked up his situation is. 
But then in verse 21, something happens. Right dead smack in the middle of the chapter. Dead smack in the middle of this album full of sad songs. Sad songs right in the middle of thinking and reflecting on how afflicted, hopeless, bitter, and bowed down he is. He gets a sudden flash of hope. He says in verse 21, this I recall to mind and therefore I have hope. It's good stuff right here. Hang on. Because if you know like I know, when you fall into sin, you feel far away from God. You feel stranded and abandoned by God. And no matter how many people are around you, you feel isolated and alone because when you feel like God has abandoned you, a multitude of people can't feel the void you feel. When the believer finds themselves falling and far off from God, they get helpless and they feel hopeless. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that you never find yourself in this situation, but just in case you're there now, or if God forbid you ever do get in this situation, Jeremiah presents the prescription for you and me. He says, you must recall to your mind the reason for your hope. He says, this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. Jeremiah has a memory, and what his mem- what he remembers gives him hope. Now I got to make a confession right here. Every morning, he go the first thing, two things I do. Judge me if you won't. I don't care. I get up, I pray, then I check Facebook. Facebook has a feature that I absolutely love. It's called. Your memories. The Your Memories feature on Facebook gives you the opportunity to look back at your past posts so that you can remember the times. Right in the midst of this situation that sin has him in, Jeremiah pulls out his Android. Sorry, y'all, my Android got too. Opens his Facebook app, looks at his timeline, whether your memories feature has appeared. He looks back over the years of his life and is reminded of why in the midst of his mess, he still has hope. He says, this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. Well, what did he remember? Get to it, preacher. He remembered his theology. Y'all remember that from last week, right? He remembered the principles, the the fundamental truths that serve as the foundation for our belief in God. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He didn't stop there. He said, they are new every morning. He, he, He remembers foundational truth number one. God's love for his people is unfailing unchanging and unceasing. He remembers uh, point number two, God's mercy toward his people are unending and renewing. And if you know like I know, you be shouting right now. Listen, and this is going to rub some folks the wrong way today, but, but listen, if you're a child of God, no matter what you do, God's love for you doesn't change. Music Soul Child, Music Soul Child was, was trying to express this to his lady love when he said, see, I'll love you when your hair turns gray, girl. 
I'll still want you if you gain a little weight, yeah. The way I feel for you will always be the same as long as your love don't change. But check this out. God's love, uh, uh, here's why God's love is greater than music soul child's love is. Music says he'll love you as long as your, your love don't change. God says, listen, I'll love you even when you act funny. I'll love you even when your love changes. I'll love you even when you're unfaithful. I'll love you even when you ain't thinking about me. I'll love you when you turn your back on me. I'll love you when you say, to me. Even if your love changes, God says his love stays the same. His love and his mercy toward us is unchanging, immovable, inexhaustible, unending, unceasing, infinite, eternal, and everlasting. And to make it even sweeter, his mercies are brand new every morning. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31 verse 3, God says to us, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. In Jeremiah 3.14, y'all, this verse rocks me. I love this. I need to get a tattoo with this one right here. In, in Jeremiah 3.14, KJV, God says to his wayward children, turn, oh backsliding children, said the Lord, for I am married to you. God is married to the backslider. And, 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 I, and I got, I'm trying not to make this thing last too long, but you may be in here or, 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 or watching uh, what Crystal does is the bomb with making sure these sermons uh, get out there. I, I don't care who you are, what state you're in. If you are backslidden, God says, I'm still married to you. The reason you can have hope is because even when you're living foul, God's love for you doesn't change. Even when you're being unfaithful, he doesn't divorce you. He still loves us. Let me see if I can make it plain for the young folks in the room. No matter what happens, God will not unfriend you. <laughs> Somebody who knows you finds you on Facebook and they want to connect with you, so they send you a friend request and you accept it. They follow you. They like your posts and your pics. They react to your memes and your shares. But then one day you post something they don't like. Or you don't react to their stuff as much as they'd like you to. Or for some reason in the real world, they got beef with you. Or you unknowingly offend them, make them mad, say something they don't like or do something they don't like or have the audacity to disagree with them. So you know what they do? They cut you off. They unfriend you. And in the ultimate show of power, they block you. But that's not how God operates. No matter how much of a mess you've made, even when you have offended him, even when you've made him angry, even after you've said something you shouldn't have said and done some things you shouldn't have done and operated outside of his word and his will, he never cuts you off, unfriends, or blocks you. He, he may have to allow suffering to do a corrective work in your life, but he still loves you. You're still his child. He's still your father. He's still the love of of your soul. He's still crazy about you. You're still the apple of his eye. He still drop, top, dop, drop, dabby, dops you. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Jeremiah remembers his theology, but that hermeneutical Hercules and exegetical giant, that hero of homiletics, a.k.a. Pastor Dex Deflex Harris, showed us last week that our theology should lead to doxology. Jeremiah remembers his theology, but he didn't stop at his theology. His theology led to doxology. He not only remembered the principles, he remembered to give God some praise. The King James uh, version, uh, translation of, uh, of verse 22 says, it's because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Jeremiah understands that because of our sins, we should be consumed by the wrath of God. He knows that God would be just if he took them all out. And if we were keeping it 100 in here today, in the room today, looking at the stuff we've done, some of the stuff we're still doing, God should have ended us like that game called Mortal Kombat. God, it says, if we look at our lives and some of the things that we've done, somebody by now should have said, finish him. (laughs) But Jeremiah gives God a shout of praise. I I, I know it's a praise. I know it's a praise. You can't tell me that it's not a praise. I, I know it's a praise because he goes from talking about God to talking to God. When he, says, he, he, when he says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies come to an end, they are new every morning, he's talking about God. But then he flips the script, he switches it up, and he says, great is thy faithfulness. At that point, he's talking to God. He goes from making a profession about God to giving praise to God, great is thy faithfulness. When you're trapped in sin, giving God praise is one of the hardest things in the world to do because your guilt and your shame makes you feel like God ain't listening to you no more. You feel like you and God ain't on speaking terms no more. In fact, you feel embarrassed, ashamed, and even afraid to call on his name. You feel like God ain't thinking about you, and even you feel like he shouldn't be thinking about you. You ask yourself, why would God listen to me after what I've done? How could God love me after what I've done? Why would he accept any praise after the mess I've made, after I let sin get me in this situation? So you sink into the shadows, and some of us even stop going to church because there's no way God could receive me or my praise. But Jeremiah shows us by example. What we ought to do, we've got to remember our theology and let it pour out into doxology. We've got to remember the principles and let it lead us to praise right smack dab in the middle of our mess. We've got to remember to give God a praise. We've got to give God a praise for his unfailing, unchanging, and unceasing love. We've got to give God a praise for his unending and renewing mercies. We've got to give God a praise for his faithfulness. We've got to give God a praise for withholding his wrath. We've got to give God a praise for not consuming us. We've got to give God a praise for giving us another chance. And if y'all ain't feeling none of that, we got to give God praise because he's worthy to be praised. When we praise God in the middle of our mess, it's a praise that says, when I'm acting faithless, Lord, great is your 
faithfulness. When I can't be trusted, Lord, great is your trustworthiness. When I'm unstable, Lord, great is your steadfastness. When I've lost my mind, Lord, great is your loving kindness. When I'm messed up, Lord, great is your mercy toward me. Donnie McClurkin got that thing. Donnie McClurkin got that thing because he's saying that song that says, great is your mercy toward me. Your loving kindness toward me, your tender mercy I see day after day, forever faithful toward me. You're always providing for me. Great is your mercy toward me. Great is your grace. We got to give God a, a praise. But that's not all. That's not all, folks. Jeremiah doesn't end with just principles and praise. He doesn't stop at theology and doxology, he goes from principles to praise and from praise to practice. In other words, he goes from theology to doxology and then from doxology to what I, I heard an old school preacher call duology. He says in response to our theology and after our doxology, there's some stuff that we got to do and I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. He says we got to wait and worship. Y'all got to remember, we in the middle of our mess. And, and, and Jeremiah says, in the middle of your mess, give God a praise, wait, and worship. Look at verse 24. It says, uh, at the end of verse 24, Jeremiah says, I will hope in him. 25 says, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. 26 says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah says, wait for the Lord. What, what you mean, wait? What you mean, wait? I'm, I'm glad you asked because somebody in here may have it twisted because it sounds like I'm saying that when you're living in sin, if you just remember God's word, and, and, and that his mercy and, and his love and give him some praise, he'll cover up his eyes and act like he don't see nothing. All right now. All right now. Ain't what I'm saying. What I'm not saying in this message is that God loves you so much, he lets you just get away with sin. What I need you to know this morning is that when you fall into sin, God will deal with you. He won't unfriend you, but he will deal with you. He won't divorce you, but he will deal with you. His love for you won't change, but he will deal with you. Um, back to Facebook, y'all. Back to Facebook real quick. I'm kind of hooked. When you violate Facebook's community standards, Facebook deals with you. They put you in what people call Facebook jail. Facebook, they don't delete you. They just shut you down for a little while. While you're in Facebook jail, you have to wait. You don't know how long you're going to be in Facebook jail. You've got to wait for them to say you're free to go. Now, I don't know what y'all call that, but where I come from, that's called a punishment. Listen, when you choose to live in sin, God will shut you down. Some of y'all don't like this, but he will put you on punishment. Not only will he put you on punishment, 
Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. This means that uh, uh, this text, that, that, that Hebrews 12, 6, the verse means that God trains up his children and molds our character by reproof and admonition. He corrects our mistakes. He curbs our passions and he increases our virtue. And he does so by affliction and with blows. Now, now I don't know what y'all call that. Where I come from, it's called a whooping. Some, some of y'all had them parents that gave y'all a choice. They say, now what you want, a whooping or a punishment? And just to be honest, I ain't want either one. <laughs> but a lot of us chose to get a whooping. How many of y'all chose to get a whooping? Tell the truth. All right. God bless you. <laughs> you going where I'm going, sister. Sister said I ain't had no choice. When I got in trouble, I got a whooping and put on punishment. When I was disobedient, I got a whooping and put on punishment. When I did something that I wasn't supposed to do, I got a whooping and put on punishment. And while I was on punishment, I had to wait until my parents decided to take me off punishment. I had a homeboy named Andre. His, his mother would scream out the window, 90 days. <laughs> we knew we were going to see that brother for three months. <laughs> he had to wait. <laughs> Sin, disobedience, and rebellion has consequences. When we sin, God deals with us. He gives us a whooping and a punishment. When we, when we sin, sometimes God gives us a whooping and then makes us go to our room where we have to wait until he says we can come out. Uh, when, when, when we are dealing with uh, the consequences of a situation that we allowed our sin to get us in, sometimes we have to wait for God to finish correcting us. But while you're in your room waiting, Jeremiah tells us what we should be doing. I like this right here. He says, while you're waiting, you should be worshiping. Verse 25, it says, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. Now watch this, to the soul that seeks him. That phrase, seeks him, means ask for him, inquire of him, to engulf yourself in him and seek him in prayer and worship. When we are trapped in the clutches of sin, we often run away from the church. But the deal is we're not really running away from the church. We're really running away trying to run away from God. We, we go into hiding uh, just like Adam and Eve did because we feel exposed and ashamed. But Jeremiah shows us that when you are in a situation because of sin, we should not be running from God. We should be running to God. He says that we ought to be seeking him, asking for him, inquiring of him, engulfing ourselves in him, and seeking him in prayer and worship. In verse 23, Jeremiah gives God praise. In verse 25, he says, now let's worship him. Looks like to me the text is teaching us that when God God sends us to his room and makes us wait. We ought to turn our room into a sanctuary and have some church. 
Verse 23, he says, give God the praise. Verse 25, he says, worship him. In other words, you ought to have a praise and worship service while you're waiting. I'm almost done, y'all. When we have fallen into sin, we should be driven by a desperation to be back in right relationship with the Father. There should be an unquenchable longing to be back in the presence of the Lord. We should be asking for him, inquiring of him, and engulfing ourselves in him and seeking him in prayer and worship. Everywhere go, a Bible ought to be tucked under our arms. The only app on our phone should be the Bible app. We should be memorizing scripture like we've never memorized scripture before. We should be praying every second of the day, and we should be constantly living in awe of an almighty God. We should be crying out like that old Dr. Watts song. I know they sang it down south. Don't know if y'all sang it up north. It says, uh, Father, I stretch my Come on, finish it. No other help I know. If thou withdraw myself, thyself from me, whether shall I go? Maybe y'all, y'all don't know that one. I, I know y'all know this one. That song that says, I need thee every hour. Uh, there's a stanza in there that says, stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou Art nigh, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. When we've hit rock bottom, we've got to wait on the Lord. We've got to worship the Lord. And, and here's why. I'm going to give it to you real quick. Because the Lord is our portion. When you wait on the Lord, you get the Lord. <laughs> That word is inheritance. We wait on the Lord because we want the Lord. I know, I know popular preaching right now is telling you to go get your money. And God will bless you with all these material possessions. And if you wait on God, he's going to show up like Santa Claus with a bag full of goodies for you. And that's all good, whatever they can preach, what they want to preach. But I want God. I'm cool with his stuff, but I want him. I'm happy to receive a blessing, but God give me you. He says when you wait on God, you get God. And then in verse 25, he just keeps it simple. I ain't really got no breakdown for this. He says, the Lord is good. So I'm going to see if y'all know how this goes. The Lord is good. And all the time. Yep, that's the translation right there. Y'all just did that. And then he says, and this is one of the keys, right? In verse 26, he says, wait on them because salvation is of the Lord. Simply put, the only one that can get you out of the mess you got yourself in is God. What we do is we try to start pulling ourselves out of that water. But anybody, uh, and the Briggs, the Briggs family, they, they swimmers, they swimmers. And y'all know, anytime you, you in that water and you start to panic and you start trying to do everything on your own because you feel like you're going under, all you do is drown more. You drown faster. The only one that can rescue you from a sea of sin is God himself. You can't save yourself. 
Because when you go about trying to save yourself, all you do is start flapping around. And some folk, your friends trying to come by and save you, they trying to get you out the water, you done elbowed them in the head, they knocked out now, and they can't save you either. Only God can save. He says salvation is of the Lord. Here's the critical key. And my last point is really, really quick. Not only does he keep it real about the reason for the suffering, which is sin, he rem- not only does he remember that he has a reason for hope, lastly, he recognizes the necessity of repentance. Here go the critical key, y'all. If you're in that situation, you've got to repent. Uh, Verse 40, if you jump all the way to verse 40, it says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. I wish I could dive into that thing, but that's a sermon all by itself. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. That that word there means to turn back. It's it's shuv. It's the same word used in the Old Testament for the word repent. It means to turn back. It means in military terms to the rear march. Uh, Abel was a, 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 a real soldier. He was a, he was a Marine. I, I, I was in the Air Force. Yeah, I, I was at the spa. <laughs> I, I worked a nine to five and went home. I ain't crawling around no dirt. I ain't had to shoot nobody. And if we went to war, I wasn't getting shot. But in basic training, they, they teach you how to march. You get a drill instructor. In the Air Force, because it was so academic, it was called a technical instructor. And the instructor taught you how to march. And one of the commands that the, that the drill instructor taught you was a command called to the rear march. So you would be marching one way, and the commander would be behind you giving commands. And, and for some reason, it, and, and, and can I, before I go to the, to the rear march, there was a, another one that I liked, that I liked. He, it was called Chain Step March. Abel, you know what I'm talking about? It was Chain Step March. And so what would happen is we were supposed to be marching with the drill instructor, in the Air Force, they called it a heel beat. There was a rhythm to the march, and you could hear that rhythm because the heels of your boots would be hitting the ground, and everybody was supposed to be in rhythm with the drill instructor, so we'd be marching. And he said heel beat to make sure that we were on beat with him. But every now and then, somebody that did not know their left foot from their right foot would get out of step with the drill instructor, and so the drill instructor had a command when his right foot hit the the ground, he say change step. The left would go forward. When his right foot hit the ground, the second thing, he said march. And when he said change step, march, we put one foot in the ground, slide this one forward, and put that foot back in the ground. And what change step march did was put us back in step with the drill instructor. It put us back in rhythm with the drill instructor. A lot of times when we fall into sin, it's because we've gotten out of step with the master. A lot of times when we mess up, it's because we're not in rhythm with God anymore. But what God is telling somebody in the room today, that all you've got to do is change step march 
But back to the rear, back to the rear, Mark. That was a good one. I like that. But, 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 but what the text is talking about is this thing called to the rear march. And so we would be marching one way, and we would be going in one direction. But for whatever reason, a drill instructor thought to himself or came to his mind and said, that's not the way I want you to go. What he would do then was say, to the rear March and what to the real march meant to do was turn us around so that we could go in another direction. He said to the rib march and we put that foot in the ground, turn around and go the other way. And here's what I love about to, to the real march. When I think about this text, is when we went to the real march, our backs were turned to our drill instructor earlier. But when he said to the real march, now we can see his face. Some of us are living in sin right now because you can't see God's face no more. You marching in the wrong direction. God is saying to the real march, he wants you to turn around so that you can see his face. He's telling you to the rear march so you can be back in his presence. He's saying to the rear march so you can feel his power. He's saying to the rear march so you can come out of adultery. He's saying to the to the rear march so you can flee from sexual sin. He's saying to the rear march so you can be free from that addiction. He's saying to the rear march so that you can let go of your lying so that you can stop gossiping backbiting so that you can be free from jealousy and injury so that you can break free from unforgiveness so you won't keep falling to temptation to the rear march come on keep some of you some of us in here today you want to be free from this thing that got you I've been there man it's a nightmare when you are a believer and you really love the Lord and you done done the dumb-dumb and you done put your toe in that puddle of sin thinking it was just a puddle and your foot went over and you fell in, been there, done that, you may be in here today and that's your testimony. As a body of Christ, the Bible says, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. I really believe that this church is led to be a church that loves just that much. That if you're out there today and that's your story, this message may not have been for everybody, but you know it was for you.